Blog Talk Radio. and around the world, streaming live on the internet, it's Real Estate Coaching Radio, bringing you the latest news, interviews, and secrets of the top producers. Hosted by award-winning real estate coaches, Tim and Julie Harris. Welcome back, everyone. I'm Tim Ventura, filling in for Tim and Julie Harris, and welcome back to Casual Friday on Real Estate Coaching Radio. This week, we're going to be doing something a little different, spending some time talking about influence and persuasion, or what you might call getting people to say yes. Now, this is a live show, and our call-in number is 347-857-1195, or send me an email at questions at realestatecoachingradio.com. Also, if you want to schedule a free coaching call, I am on the roster. Again, I'm Tim Ventura, and I'm hiding at the very bottom of the page at freecoachingcallsforagents.com. But I'll tell you, the people that you really want to schedule a call with on that page are Tim and Julie. You have to trust me that they're the real deal, and they will get you on track. So again, that's freecoachingcallsforagents.com. Okay, so let's start out with an overview of a book that I'm currently reading entitled Influence, The Science and Practice by Robert Caldini. It's not a new book. It originally came out in 1984. So if you want a copy, you can pick one up on Amazon pretty inexpensively. It's really popular. Uh, Let me see. It's in the fourth edition with over a quarter of a million copies sold. So, you know, this is it's definitely been around. It's uh, well-reviewed. And, in fact, there's a lot about it online as well, so you may not even have to buy it if you just want to kind of go through you know, the summary. And, of course, today I'm going to give you kind of a summary of it here as well. So let me get started here, and I will start out with a summary of kind of the six major points of it. I'll start out with Wikipedia. Now, Robert Caldini is he's a Regents Professor Emeritus of Psychology and Marketing at Arizona State University. And so he wrote this book, again, back in uh, 1984, uh, and oh, it's saying here it's sold over 2 million copies, been translated into 26 languages. Okay, so maybe I have an old copy here. But the six key points, as he outlines them, number one is reciprocity. People tend to return a favor, thus the pervasiveness of free samples in marketing. In his conferences, he often uses the example of Ethiopia providing thousands of dollars in humanitarian aid to Mexico just after the 1985 earthquake, despite Ethiopia suffering from a crippling famine and civil war at the time. Ethiopia had been reciprocating for the diplomatic support Mexico provided when Italy evaded Ethiopia in 1935. So I guess that's a a good cop, bad cop comparison also that's involved with that. Uh, Number two is commitment and consistency. If people commit orally or in writing, they're more likely to honor that commitment because of establishing that idea or goal as being congruent with their self-image. Social proof, people will do things that they see other people are doing. Authority, people will tend to obey authority figures even if they're asked to perform objectionable acts. Liking, people are easily persuaded by other people that they like and scarcity, perceived scarcity will generate demand. 
So those are those are the six, and I, I kind of gave you an example for the first one, but let's let's break it down a little bit here. Okay, so reciprocity. As humans, we generally aim to return favors, pay back debts, and treat others as they treat us. According to the idea of reciprocity, this can lead us to feel obliged to offer concessions or discounts to others if they've offered them to us. This is because we're uncomfortable with the idea of feeling indebted, right? So this is kind of a, you know, it's a basic one. It's, it's you give something away for free, and people are more likely to do something back in return. And, and uh, you know, maybe the, the free trial or the, the free samples that you get in the mail, you know, like I'm, I'm thinking of toothpaste samples, you know, you get those. Uh, if, if you get something for free, you're more likely to, to purchase, right? It says, uh, let me see. For example, if a colleague helps you when you're busy with a project, you might feel obliged to support their ideas for improving the, the team processes. Um, you know, you, you might decide to buy more from a supplier if they've offered you a, a more aggressive discount. Or you might give money to a charity fundraiser if they've given you a flower in the street. So those are, those are a few more examples. So basically, it's, it's they, they do something small for you, and then you do something hopefully larger back for them. So number two, we'll, we'll go down here, commitment and consistency. Caldini says that we have a deep desire to be consistent. For this reason, once we've committed to something, we're more inclined to go through with it. For instance, you'd probably be more likely to support a colleague's project proposal if you'd shown interest when he first talked to you about his ideas. So again, it's it's kind of once we're committed, our mind kind of wraps itself around that, and and then it becomes like what they were saying congruent with uh, with our goals. And so once it's become congruent, then then we're kind of driven to become consistent with it. So if you can get someone to commit, then you know then that's that's definitely a good thing. Uh, and I, what I understand is if you can get them to commit small, also I've I've read this elsewhere. If you can get them to commit small. Uh, they're more likely to commit big. Social proof. This principle relies on people's sense of safety in numbers. For example, we're more likely to work late if others in our team are doing the same. Uh, we're more likely to put a tip in a jar if it already contains money or eat in a restaurant if it's busy. Uh, we're, we're assuming that if a lot of other people are doing something, then it must be okay. Um, you know, I, I know this is true. I've actually met people, you know, when I was a kid going to college, working in restaurants. Uh, some of the kids would start out the tip jar with their own money. That way it had a couple of bucks in it, and they always felt like people were more likely to put money in it after it had some in it. So I, that's a, that's a real-life example that I've seen, and I think that there's definitely truth to it. Uh, it says that we're, we're particularly susceptible to this principle when we're feeling uncertain and we're even more likely to be influenced if the people we seem uh, if the people seem to be similar to us. That's why commercials often use moms, not celebrities, to advertise household products. Okay, next is liking. Caldini says that we're more likely to be influenced by people we like. Likeability comes in many forms. People might be similar or familiar to us. They might give us compliments, or we may just simply trust them. Companies that use sales agents from within the community employ this principle with huge success. People are more likely to buy from people like themselves 
from friends and from people they know and respect. So, so I, I think they're actually saying there's a couple of things. I mean, number one is that we like them, right? Obviously, you, you want to buy from people that you like. The other one is that we want to be, buy from people who are like ourselves, and that's where they say sales agents from within the community. And so it's setting yourself up to be similar to your customer, you know, and then finding different ways to do that. Next is authority. We feel a sense of duty or obligation to people in positions of authority. This is why advertisers of pharmaceutical products employ doctors to front their campaigns and why most of us will do things that our manager requests. Job titles, uniforms, and even accessories like cars or gadgets can lend an air of authority and can persuade us to accept what these people say. Finally, scarcity. This principle says that things are more attractive when their availability is limited or when we stand to lose the opportunity to acquire them on favorable terms. For instance, we might buy something immediately if we're told that it's the last one or that it's a special offer that will soon expire. You know, I'm sure you've probably seen ads on TV for this all the time. I mean, scarcity is one of those things, you know, act now, right? And that's, I think that's the idea of the, the limited sale. So, you know, you turn on the TV, it's the mattress store, they've got the President's Day sale. This day only, you know, that's one example among many. Okay, so let's go down here and look at some ways that we can apply this tool. Now, now this isn't real estate specific. These are just kind of general ways that we can apply these six principles. It's saying uh, for reciprocity, to use reciprocity to influence others, you'll need to identify your objectives and think about what you want from the other person. You need to identify what you can give them in return. So, you can sometimes use this principle by simply reminding the other person of how you've helped them in the past. So again, it's it's giving something to get something back, right? It's uh, you know, and, and maybe that's something small. Now, in the real estate business, uh, I'll tell you one good example. This would be a property management example, probably, would be uh, if you have a new tenant, giving them a list of utilities in the area with phone numbers. Um, you know, or or if you have someone who's looking, maybe they're not a tenant yet, being able to give them some of that information as a cheat sheet to make you know make their lives a little easier. Uh, you know, so that that might be one example. Uh, next, going down the commitment, it says try to get people's commitment early on, either verbally or in writing. For example, if you're building support for a project, talk about ideas early on with stakeholders. Take their comments and views into account. That's more of a corporate thing, I guess. But it says uh, also, if you're selling a product, sell a very small quantity, a taster, or make it easy for people to change their mind once they've bought it. I'm not sure if either one of these really apply to real estate that much. But I, I think that the commitment idea is if you can get people to commit to something small, they will also commit to something larger. I mentioned that before. And in real estate, then, that would definitely go towards buying a house. If you can get them to make a commitment to something small, they're more likely to commit to something large later on. Now, what might that be? I'm not sure. Maybe you can get them to commit to looking at two different houses to, you know, with you or three different houses with you or get them to commit to looking at no more than three houses. Just the commitment itself, I think, starts, starts that 
process, you know, and then that might make them more likely to uh, to purchase later on. Social proof. You can use this principle by creating a buzz around your idea or product. And in real estate, buzz and hype seems like it goes to the territory. So uh, it says, for example, if you're trying to get support for a new project, work on generating support from influential people. Or if you're selling a service, highlight the number of people using it. Use plenty of relevant testimonials. Encourage people to talk about it and publish case studies with current customers to demonstrate success. So social proof is all about basically testimonials, getting others to demonstrate that it works. You know, And that's something that we definitely do uh, with Tim and Julie Harris Real Estate Coaching. We have lots of great examples. Again, go to freecoachingcallforagents.com if you want to be one of them. We have lots of great examples of people who have changed their real estate careers by working with Tim and Julie. And we're happy to put those up on the website because for us, it's like, well, look, you know, these people are wonderful examples of how real estate coaching can change your career, can take it to the next level, can get people on track. And, uh, you know, by looking at these real-world examples, and people can, you know, surf through and look at their websites and learn more about them and all that fun stuff, then you can see how you can do the same thing. Well, that that really goes for any business. It's social proof as you know as a sales tool. Liking to build good relationships, ensure that you put the time and effort in needed to build trust and rapport with clients and the people you work with, and behave with consistency. Develop your emotional intelligence and active listening skills, and remember there is no one size fits all approach when it comes to relating to others. Also, don't try to be liked too hard by others because people can always spot a phony. That's kind of an interesting spin on it. Um, again, it's it's not just being liked. It's not just they like you. It's also being like them. It's the similarity, right? We 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 tend to like things that reflect ourselves, you know. And so, uh, you know, you, you want to try and resonate with them i guess connect with them on their terms you know and i think a big part of that and they mentioned this here a big part of that is being a good listener being a good listener is definitely part of that you know and again as an agent that's something that, that should go with the territory because you have to do a lot of listening to learn what they want anyways going down to authority here you can use both your own authority and the authority of others as influencers. When you use your own authority, be careful not to use it negatively. Let me see. They're talking about different sources of power, how you can use that positively and negatively. Uh, It says to use authority, get support from influential and powerful people and ask for their help in backing the idea. If you're marketing a product or service, highlight well-known and respected customers or use comments from industry experts and talk about impressive research or statistics. Things like well-produced brochures, professional presentations, impressive offices, and smart clothing can also lend authority. So authority really is just somebody who should know saying that you're the person to work with, right? And so if you have letters of recommendation, 
being able to find a way to kind of slip stuff like that into your presentation, that that's I think that's a well a way to kind of convey some of that authority. It's basically having external third party authority figure from from some venue, right? Somebody that matters, somebody that that people either know or it seems like they probably should know, saying, "Hey, work with this person or the person to work with." Now, with scarcity, people need to know that they're missing out if they don't act quickly. So for this principle, it says if you're selling a product, limit the availability of stock, set a closing date for the offer, or create special editions of products. This principle can be trickier to apply within your organization if you're trying to influence others to get your support for your ideas or projects. But you can use urgency to get support for your ideas. So urgency would also count as scarcity. And I think that to some degree, maybe in real estate, those are interchangeable. Scarcity is, is interesting if you're selling houses, right? Uh, well, the, the scarcity would be, uh, you know, this thing could go off the market soon. There are lots of other people looking at it. Uh, if you're listing, it could be, um, you know, there's the limited supply of buyers or uh, the market may change in this area at some point. So this is the best time to buy here or, or something along those lines. It says, uh, you know, highlighting possible urgent consequences of the problem that your idea helps to solve. So th- those are kind of how to apply those those six points. Uh, and you know, they also describe in, in this in this summary they describe how to resist influence as well. But heck, we don't want to get into that today. So that's that's the six key principles of Robert Caldini's influence, science, and practice. And uh, before we move on, let's take a quick commercial break. Is coaching right for you? And how can I guarantee it will work for me? Chances are you're asking yourself those questions right now. I'll answer those critical questions for you in just a moment. But first, let's be honest about something you may have always suspected – You've probably always known that the nation's top 1% of realtors, you know, those millionaire agents you see on TV, they possess a secret knowledge that the other 99% of agents do not have. Where did they learn what they know? And more importantly, how did they learn how to put this closely guarded information into money-making action? It's simple. They have a coach. Not just any coach. The nation's mega millions, top 1% of the realtors know that in order to maintain their almost unfair advantage, that they must have their own personal coach, a proven, market-tested coach who has truly walked in their shoes, a coach who has worked with many of the nation's leading agents. At this point, you're probably ready to maybe try coaching. However, you don't want to be unfairly locked into a long-term ball and chain that coaching contracts can give you. It just makes sense that you should be able to try it before you buy it. Even more importantly, you want to have a coach who is the best of the best, not someone who is simply assigned to you or, even worse, has never sold real estate. Can you imagine? If this is you, I have something for you right now that is exactly what you have been looking for. For the next 48 hours, Tim and Julie Harris Real Estate Coaching is offering you a free coaching call. This is a real coaching call with a real Tim and Julie Harris coach. 
Now, while you are thinking about it, why don't you visit us online at freecoachingcallsforagents.com to get started. Once again, that is freecoachingcallsforagents.com. Now, let's be clear. This exclusive coaching opportunity is only available for the first 50 realtors who are stone-cold serious about their real estate business and know that in order to succeed at the highest level, they must hire a coach. So don't wait any longer. Take action now and visit us again at freecoachingcallsforagents.com to schedule your free coaching call. Again, that's freecoachingcallsforagents.com. Thanks so much. See you all soon. I'm Tim Ventura, filling in for Tim and Julie Harris, and welcome back to Casual Friday on Real Estate Coaching Radio. Again, we're talking about persuasion. We just finished up kind of a summary of the six major points of Robert Caldini's influence, science, and practice, and we are moving right along to, to our, next, uh, our next example here. Okay, so I found an interesting page I was I was looking at some of Caldini's stuff, and I found an interesting page uh, ended up here, really more than anything else, called "How to Persuade People with Subconscious Techniques," and it looks like it has a lot of the stuff that that he talks about. And so I'll, I'll restate some of his points yet again, but it also has a few other points. A couple of them are actually humorous. So when we get to those, uh, you know, try not to laugh. <laughs> okay, so. Number one here is using framing to influence thought. Again, that's using framing to influence thought. The glass is half empty. That's how a pessimist would frame the objective fact of a half glass of water. Framing is simply a way to alter how we sort, categorize, associate, and ultimately give meaning to events, objects, or behaviors, right? Now, in that example, obviously, they're talking about the half full, half half empty, and the way that you view it really shapes your impressions, right? You think about that glass, uh, you know, if it's if it's half full, well, great, wow, I have, you know, half full glass of water. I'm really excited about this because I was thirsty, you know, or as opposed to it's, it's half empty. Oh, you know what? You know, I, I can't even get a full glass of water around here. So, you know, that that one's pretty basic. But they also have, again, these aren't real estate examples, but they have some interesting examples of framing. I thought I'd read you a couple of these. This one, going back to the 1990s, it says the headline FBI agents surround cult leaders' compound creates a mental picture vastly different than FBI agents raid small Christian gathering of women and children. Both headlines might be accurate, but the words used alter the associated mental images and the feelings that you have and thereby change or alter the meaning that that the person will give to those objective events. I thought that was really interesting. I think they were I think they were talking about the David Koresh thing way back when. But you know, yeah, I mean you hear that and it's like, well, cult leaders compound, wow. I mean that sounds uh, you know, that sounds pretty pretty intense. But then, you know, small Christian gathering of women and children, well that's completely different. The mental picture I have is, uh, you know, so I I think that's a a wonderful example. Uh, It says, framing is frequently used by skillful politicians. 
For, for instance, politicians on both sides of the abortion debate cite their positions as pro-life or pro-choice because pro has better connotations than anti. So that what they're using is framing there. Uh, so, you know, instead of saying anti-abortion, they're saying pro-life. I think that's the I think that's the idea, and, and that way they can they can come across as being pro, right? They're for something either way. Um, so it says it frames subtly uses emotionally charged words to shift people towards your point of view. To frame a persuasive argument, select words that conjure images, positive, negative, or neutral, in the minds of your audience. Even with other words nearby, a single framing word can still be effective. Uh, you know, it says another example illustrated by, is, is illustrated by the difference between saying having a cell phone will keep me out of trouble or having a cell phone will keep me safe. Ponder which word is more effective for your message, trouble or safe. And, and again, that's, that's kind of a, a pro versus con type thing, right? Instead of saying trouble, which brings up those negative images, you say safe because then, then people think you know, in a more positive way about it. Okay, step number two is use the mirroring technique. Again, that's use the mirroring technique. And mirroring is the practice of mimicking the movements and body language of the person you're trying to persuade. Uh, it says, by acting as the person listening does, you create a sense of empathy. I thought this was really interesting because this is actually, this goes back to what Caldini had said, the, the like and being liked. And being like someone, that's a, a lot of that goes to mirroring. So mimicking the body movements and the body language of the person you're trying to persuade. You know, and it shows in this case, th there are a couple examples. Uh, one of them shows a bunch of people with their hands out. And, uh, you know, it shows a person holding product who has their other hand out as well, right? So they're mirroring that. Or, uh, you know, it shows a thoughtful lady. Maybe she's thinking about buying or selling a house. She's rubbing her chin. Well, in the salesman, he, he rubs his beard in the same way, so he's mirroring. And you, you can look this up online if you want to see examples of it. But it says you can mirror hand gestures leaning forward or away or various head and arm movements. We all do this subconsciously. And if you pay attention, you'll probably notice yourself doing it. And I think that's true. I've noticed that as well. Um, you know, if you're sitting with a, a bunch of folks and somebody crosses their legs, um, I found that sometimes I'll cross my legs the same way, and I've often wondered, why, why am I doing this? That, that's, that's that mirroring thing. So it makes us seem more like them. It says, uh, remember to be subtle about it and delay two to four seconds between the other person's movement and your mirroring. Mirroring is also known as the chameleon effect because you blend in. I, I think, yeah, being subtle is probably a key there. Otherwise, uh, otherwise that might kind of creep people out. Next, going down to promoting the scarcity of something. Promoting scarcity. And again, this is Caldini, right? Scarcity is frequently used by advertisers to make opportunities seem more appealing because they have limited availability. The assumption is that if a product is scarce, there must be a ton of demand for it. Buy one now because they're selling out fast. 
Be aware that this is a technique of persuasion to which you are frequently exposed and take that into account when you make purchase decisions. So, yes, scarcity is definitely used a lot. Again, you turn on the TV, you're going to see that probably five or ten times now or any of the, you know, any of the channels that you watch. It's in pretty much every, every commercial. Uh, and I think in some ways it might be losing a little bit of effectiveness because of that. Um, but definitely scarcity and urgency, going back to Caldini, uh, those, those definitely are, are key selling factors. It's act now. And, uh, you know, that way we'll still have product. <laughs> okay, next is use reciprocation to create an obligation. So it's using reciprocation to create an obligation. This is, again, Caldini's reciprocity. When someone does something for us, we feel compelled to return the favor. So if you want someone to do something nice for you, why not do something nice for them first? says, in a business setting, maybe you pass them a lead. At home, you might offer to lend your lawnmower to a neighbor. It doesn't matter where or when you do it. The key is to complement the relationship. Okay, so reciprocity is you do something for them, they do something back for you. Next, let's go down to use timing to your advantage. Again, this is using timing to your advantage, and it says people are more likely to be agreeable and submissive when they're mentally fatigued. Wow, that, that, is, that is kind of subconscious technique. Uh, before you ask someone for something they might not readily agree to, consider waiting until they've just done something mentally taxing. Well, now, if you're doing real estate transactions, I would say this, this might fall into the, the just-done-paperwork category. Uh, said so this could be at the end of the workday when you catch a coworker on their way out the door. Whatever you ask, a likely response is, I'll take care of it tomorrow. So using timing to your advantage. That, that makes sense, I guess. Um, you know, and again, if you use timing and you use framing together, you know, if you catch someone at the right time, that would be an example of that. Uh, so just looking for the right time to ask the right question, you know. Okay, going down next, use congruence to obtain a wanted outcome. Again, this is Caldini. This is the, the congruence thing. We talked about that earlier, the commitment. We all try subconsciously to be consistent with previous actions. A technique used by salespeople is to shake your hand as they negotiate with you. In most people's minds, a handshake equates to a closed deal. And by doing this before the deal is actually closed, a salesperson is more likely to actually close it. Well, that's interesting. That's interesting. I've never, I've never heard of that one before. So, again, it says a technique used by salespeople is to shake your hand during the negotiation. In most people's mind, the handshake means a closed deal. And so when you do this, when you shake their hand during the negotiation, it says the salesperson is more likely to actually close the deal. I don't know if that's true or not. I've never read that before, but that does seem really interesting, and I, I guess it makes sense. That handshake there, that's, that's a big part of closing, right? We also use it as a greeting, but perhaps if you make a big point during that negotiation, you could use that as a way to uh, you know, reach out and shake their hand again, and maybe that would move them closer to closing with you. 
Uh, it says, you know, a, a good way to use this yourself is to get people to act before they make up their minds. For example, if you were out and about with a friend and you wanted to go see a movie but your friend was undecided, you could start walking in the direction of the theater while they're considerate, while they're considering it. Your friend is more likely to agree to go once he or she is walking the direction you set. You know what? Let me give you a real-life example of this from my own life. This is one of my favorite examples of persuasion because it works so well on me. It's something small. It's this example. Many moons ago, when I was in college, I had a summer job detailing cars for a car dealership. And there was a fellow there, uh, Heath Warner. He was the senior salesman. He was, he was the big gun. He sold probably twice as much as anybody else. I mean, he, he, was, you know, he was the closer, right? He was kind of the, uh, I don't know what they call it, the alpha male in that dealership in terms of selling cars. Now, it's a little bit different than selling houses. But, you know, at the time... I said, you know, how can you sell so much more than the people around you? How can you do that? And since I used to, to you know, I, I was, again, I was one of the, the lot guys. I used to clean up the cars that he was selling and stuff, and I always did a good job. And so, so you know, I, I'd asked him, and he said, well, he said, he said, I'll, he said I'll, I'll teach you some of my tricks. I said, really? He was like, yeah, here, walk with me. And so he turned, and he started walking towards the cars. So, of course, I walked with him. And then he stopped after a few feet, and he turned around, and he said, that's the first trick. And I said, what? And he said, he said, when I did walk with me, I didn't, I didn't ask you to. I didn't give you a chance to say no. I just turned and started going. It was implicit. It, it wasn't something that required a decision on your part. And so they, they, had, you know, they had just listed that here as well. So, again, it's, Again, this example says, uh, if you wanted to go see a movie, but your friend was undecided, start walking the direction of the theater while they're considering it. They're more likely to agree and go once they're walking in that direction. You're getting them to go along with something without consciously asking them to go along with it. Okay, next is using fluid speech. Okay, fluid speech. It says, when we talk... We often use little interjections and hesitant phrases such as um or I mean, and of course, there is the ubiquitous like. These little conversation fillers have the unintended effect of making us seem less confident and sure of ourselves, and thus, less persuasive. If you're confident in your speech, others will be more easily persuaded by what you have to say. Well, you know, I think that this is also kind of a public speaking thing. And any of us who do public speaking, uh, you know, we, we all tend to become conscious of stuff like um or I mean or like, these little stutters, these hesitations that we put in our our speech, right? And, yeah, I, I, God knows I do it. I do it more than I want to. And I think we all do to some degree. That's just uh, part of human speech or part of part of speaking English at least. But... If you keep an eye on those and try to speak more confidently, you'll use um, I mean, like, and the other hesitations less frequently. And hopefully, you will seem a little bit more persuasive as a result. It's just seeming confident in how you speak and how you act. Next is using herd behavior to influence a decision. Herd behavior. Well, it makes me, makes me think of buffalo. But what it says is, we constantly observe those around us to determine our actions. 
we have the need for acceptance. We're far more likely to follow or be persuaded by someone we like or someone who, see, someone who we see as an authority. This, this goes back to kind of the Stanley Milgram experiments, I think. We, we studied those in college psych, right? It's, um, you know, it's if you feel like people around you are doing something, you are more likely to do it, you know. So if everybody else is out buying a car, well, heck, why shouldn't I go out and buy one too? If everyone else is driving around looking at houses, how come I shouldn't be doing the same thing, you know? Now, maybe everyone else isn't as many people as you think, but that, that's not really the, the point. The point is whether or not you perceive that that's happening. And if you're able to kind of share that with people, you know, the idea that everybody else or people like them or or others in that group, then they want to be consistent with that, right? They, they want to be part of something, uh, you know. And, and so that's using herd behavior, even though I, I'm not a fan of that description. So it's an effective way to use this to your advantage is to be seen as a leader, even if you don't have an official title, which is kind of interesting. Uh, be charming and confident, and people will place a greater weight on your opinion if you're dealing with someone who isn't likely to see you as an authority, uh, you can casually praise a leader that that person admires or trigger positive thoughts in that person's mind about a person they look up to. So, so I, th- I think it's, it's trying to come across as a leader yourself as well as trying to get people to go along with, uh, with other stuff. Now, this, one, this next one down here, I, I thought this was kind of funny. It says, get or borrow man's best friend and they have a picture of a a lady with a dog now i thought this was kind of humorous now i don't know how you could work this into selling real estate maybe there would be a pet speech you know uh the the idea of driving around looking at homes or or uh you know something like that 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 might be a little bit complicated if you've got a dog involved with this but says to give people the impression that you're loyal and inspire them to be loyal to you put up a picture of you with a dog doesn't even have to be you. Or sorry, it doesn't even have to be your own dog. This can make you seem like a team player, but don't go overboard. Putting up too many pictures can make you seem unprofessional. Uh, now I, I'm reading this because it's here, but again, I, I think this is kind of humorous. I'm, I'm not sure if putting up a photo of you with a dog is really going to do a heck of a lot of anything. But <laughs> there it is, borrowing a dog. So. Just hope they don't ask too many questions, like, uh, what's the dog's name, you know? Okay, next is offer a drink. Give the person who you're persuading a warm drink, like tea, coffee, or hot cocoa, to hold while you're talking to them. The warm sensation of the drink in their hands can subconsciously make them feel like you're an emotionally warm, likable, and welcoming person. Giving them a cold drink can have the opposite effect. In general, people tend to feel cold and crave warm food or drinks when they're feeling socially isolated. So fill that need in order to make them more receptive. Now, I'm not sure, especially going into summer, I'm not sure if cold drinks are a bad idea like this is suggesting. I think that, you know, if it's if it's 95 degrees outside and you're looking at houses in, you know, uh, California or Phoenix or something, I think the idea of offering them hot coffee might be a little odd, but... But uh, that's what it says, at least. So this one might work a little bit better in the winter. Next is ask yes questions. Again, that's ask yes questions. 
Begin the conversation with questions that generate a yes response. Nice day today, isn't it? Your wife looks great, doesn't she? You're looking for a great deal on a car, aren't you? Once you get someone saying yes, it's easy to get them to continue up to and including, yes, I'll buy it. So I, I get what they're saying here. Basically, it's sell little, sell big. Get them to say yes to little things, right? Uh, you know, and this this probably goes back to the idea of reciprocity a little bit. It's, you know, getting something little in order to get something big. Giving someone something to get something back is kind of similar, kind of similar. So try and ask questions, little questions, that get them to say yes. You don't want to hear a lot of no's. You don't want to be asking them stuff that says no's. So, again, that, that goes to framing your questions, right? Um and you want to try and frame those questions so they can answer yes to them. And then ultimately the question is, do you want to buy or do you want to list with me? And, of course, you want them to say yes. So the way to do that, the way to get that yes, is to ask yes questions. Next is breaking the touch barrier. Again, this is breaking the touch barrier. Now, I've read this before, and I think you have to be really careful with this one, but it says... Whether you're closing a deal or asking someone on a date, touching them in a subtle and appropriate way can improve your chances by subconsciously activating the human desire to bond. And it shows a fellow patting another guy on the shoulder, shaking hands, I think. A good, firm handshake might be a great example of that. And again, we're looking for something that's subtle and appropriate. So a handshake might be a good example of touch that is subtle, appropriate, and can improve your chances by subconsciously activating the human desire to bond. And again, it shows, uh, you know, there's the, old, there's the old handshake arm clasp as well, and that's kind of what's being shown here. So you're shaking someone's hand with your right hand, and then you clasp them on the same, same arm up near the shoulder with the other. So it's kind of like the, I don't know what you'd call it, it's it's a, it's more than just a handshake, but it's that firm, reassuring, you know, this is going to work kind of a thing. Okay, so that was uh, that was all the tips that are here. Twelve tips, and let me see. Uh, let me see if it's worth reading through some of these warnings too. There are a few here. Uh, let me see warnings. Well, don't speak too fast. You should seem confident. But if you rush your techniques, they may end up with negative effects. I would say that you want to try and practice some of these too. You know, with anything like this, um, you know, when you're working on those negotiating skills, if you read it in a book like I am here and you try and apply it, man, that can have disastrous consequences because it doesn't look polished. It doesn't look genuine, right? And the last thing you want to – you want, you don't want people paying attention to things that look fake about you. You just want it to be natural and fluid. And so I think being confident is a big part of that. Not hurrying with these techniques, that would be another part of it. And, and you know, maybe practicing a little bit too. Another one here is uh, don't be rash or use inappropriate content in your messages. Now, I think that's, I think that's fair. Again, you want to kind of stay, you know, on target. You want to move them along a path. And anything that kind of disrupts too much from that, you know, it kind of it, it, it breaks that connection. 
and then they start to think, wait a minute, you know, maybe I don't want to buy here. So you want to keep things kind of on target and, uh, you know, try and keep things low-key. Don't use a lot of hot buttons, right? Like some of the examples up there were hot buttons, uh, you know, the, the cult compound thing. That's, that's not something you probably use in business speech very much just because it kind of – it's too emotionally charged, right? Okay, it says, uh, next, if you ask too much – the deal might be off. Sure, there never was a deal, but you had a tiny chance of them saying yes. Okay, also try to be nice to them for a long time and ask when they're happy. If you ask when they're sad, they might get mad or something. Yeah, I'm not sure who wrote this. Oh, you know what? Look at that. It has a little uh, thumb up or thumb down next to how helpful these were. That one wasn't very helpful. Uh, let me see. Here's another one. If someone feels like they're being manipulated, they'll feel extremely uncomfortable around you. Think about how much you hate hard sell from sales staff or passive-aggressive family member. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. You know, I've read that people today, they like to buy, but they don't like to be sold to. And I I don't think that's true at all, but I think definitely people don't like the hard sell sales pitch from the old days. To be honest, I'm not sure if people ever did like it, but these days definitely I think uh, it's become more of a caricature of something to avoid. And I know that when I meet hard sell salespeople, I, I tend to kind of withdraw from that. You know, and I, I think a lot of the people do as well. So it's it's kind of like selling without acting like you're selling, which which can be kind of a challenge. Uh, you know, another warning here is don't persuade anyone to do something that isn't conducive to their well-being. Yeah, I think in real estate, I think this is also very appropriate. Even if you're able to persuade someone to to buy a house or to list at the wrong price, or you know, there are a hundred different things that really probably won't go that well for them in the long term. What happens when when that that comes home to roost? Right? It. it it sours the deal, it damages your reputation, it leaves negative feelings, you're not going to get the referrals. And again, that the center of influence past client referrals, that's invaluable. And the way to get that is by doing something that benefits them. You want to make that purchase or listing process go as well as possible. And when I say as well as possible, they want to look back on that and say, wow, it was great working with that person. We got a great house or we got a great deal or we sold this thing for, you know, uh, more than we'd hoped, you know, more than we'd expected. You want them to have a good experience to look back on so they will recommend you to others or so that when you maybe you talk to them later on and say, hey, do you have any friends that you could send my way? They'll think, you know what? This is a great person. I'm going to send some. I'm going to send some folks to them. And if you ask them to do something that isn't conducive to their well-being, right? Maybe you're able to make the deal work today, but that just creates pain for tomorrow. Uh, it also says, be careful about using persuasive techniques in friendships. Um, you know, sometimes a decision needs to be made. It's okay to convince others to buy in, but if if you if you really become kind of a persuasive person, I mean, in a sense, persuasion is well, it is. It's a form of manipulation, right? And if you do this all the time, especially in your interpersonal relationships, then you're a manipulative person, and uh, you know that that catches up with you, right? Uh, so in a sales setting, I think these things may work better than in your personal life, um, but 
you know, doing this on a day-to-day basis all the time, that that might have some negative issues. So I think, you know, I think that good salespeople know when to turn it off, and I know with the salespeople that I know, they definitely have an off mode. And and that helps them decompress too, right? That way they don't always have to be selling. And so, uh, so you know, don't do it all the time. Learn when to use persuasion and when not to. Okay, well, that was our walkthrough on persuasion today. And again, we were uh, we were discussing how to get people to say yes. Those are some different techniques. I would recommend a good place to start is with Robert Caldini's Influence. Science and practice, and hopefully, I gave you a pretty decent outline of those six key points, along with some uh, some other ideas there. This is Tim Ventura. I've been filling in for Tim and Julie Harris. And if you want to schedule a coaching call, I am on the roster, hiding at the very bottom of the page at freecoachingcallsforagents.com. Again, that's freecoachingcallsforagents.com. And I want to thank you all, and have a wonderful weekend. This program has been a presentation by Tim and Julie Harris, Real Estate Coaching. For more information on our real estate coaching and training programs, visit our website at timandjulieharris.com. Remember to tune in weekdays at noon for upcoming shows. And until next time, thank you for listening to Real Estate Coaching Radio with Tim and Julie Harris. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.